looks right, throws a deep pass, right side, end zone, hits off, it's a touchdown! And the Cardinals continue to pour it on. Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by the Arizona Cardinals mobile app. Visit azcardinals.com slash app. Touchdown, Arizona! The latest news and notes from the guys who cover the team. Great move to the right at the 50. Cuts back to the left at the 40. He's loose at the 30. He's at the 20. The 10. Touchdown, Cardinals! Rise up and make a play. And what a hit! Oh, my goodness! He got crushed. You've got to be kidding me. Come off the ball with malice. Here's Paul Calvisi. I'm thinking I I could start this edition of Cardinals Underground by just kindly, not so gently maybe, reminding Darren Urban and Kyle Odegaard that, hey, it's 2020, it's not going to be easy. Nobody said it's going to be easy. In fact, that's our hashtag catchphrase, nothing's easy, 2020. Or, in honor of the now late great Eddie Van Halen, maybe I'll just say we're still waiting for an eruption. Or maybe it's the mean streets that are going on. Uh, at times, you know, these opponents are going to be running with a devil. But at some point, the Cardinals' offense is going to be unchained. I don't know any of those. Darren, can you relate? Kyle's looking at me baffled because of his age demographic. I think, I think you're following me, Darren Urban. I, I am following you, though. That's, uh, I don't know how much you had that planned or how much that was off the top of your head, Paul. But uh, it is a sad, sad day as we record this that Eddie Van Halen has passed away. Uh, I was a large fan of his once upon a time. Still am, but uh, you know when you're when you're growing up, right in the heyday of Van Halen, that was a, that was a big deal. And I don't think you're wrong. Uh, all those uh, all those ways that you talked about where the Cardinal season was right now, because uh, uh, it's it's definitely taken a turn from where we were a couple weeks ago. Did you ever own a boombox, Kyle? That's going to be the first indicator as to. I know Darren did. He was in eighth grade. He had a boombox. He had Van Halen cranking on his boombox. What about you and your generation? Yeah, I had a boombox, and I had the uh, Walkman when you're trying to, like, run down the street, and you can't – you have to hold it really tight because it's going to skip if you let it jiggle too much. So I had to deal with all that uh, back in the day. Not to mention it's the size and weight of a brick, basically. (laughs) You know, it's it's yanking down your shorts as you're trying to make it around the block. So, uh, yeah. Kyle, if I gave you a boombox right now and a microphone, a Mr. Microphone, and you had a message right now for this Cardinals locker room, would we start with intensity and focus and energy and all these ethereal things that analytics can't explain? Do you think that's the main culprit here in looking at what happened this past week versus what happened the first couple of weeks? Uh, No, not at all. I think that (laughs) – I'm never going to – Paul, you're just wrong. I'm Once never going to be – 2020 is not going to be easy, myself <laughs> included. I'm aware of that. So continue. I think we've learned by now I'm never going to be the energy intangible type guy. I'm going to go with the stats. And I feel like the lack of a passing game is the most glaring thing to me, which – is surprising. I thought once you got DeAndre Hopkins with Kyler Murray going into his second season that they'd really take a step forward in the passing game, and it just hasn't happened. And I feel like that has been the culprit in the issues these first four weeks. Okay, I got to ask this question, though, Kyle. Like, I get where you're going to talk about the passing game, and I agree with you, um, and I'm sure we're going to get into that. But just, just from your analytical mind, uh, and I'm picturing that meme of the people with all the, the equations popping up around Kyle's head right now. Um, 
some of that has to do with energy. I mean, we've all we've all played sports before where we just didn't feel we, we didn't have the energy, we didn't we didn't have the the motivation to do it well. And isn't that part of it? I mean, yeah, you're right, it's the passing game, but if the passing game's not going because you know the a player is a little bit tired or he's not super focused because he's just not into the game. I mean, everybody could be right here. It could be partly energy, right? Well, I think one thing that I'm going to agree with you guys on is the fact that playing a 10 a.m. game on the East Coast, I agree that can be hard because the science backs up the validity of playing at a 10 a.m. body clock compared to the Panthers playing on a 1 p.m. body clock, that's a big deal because your best performance is usually in the early afternoon. And fun fact, if you actually look at all the world records in track, most of them they take place in a certain time period because your body is working at an optimal ability at a certain time of day. So I, I agree with that part of it where the Cardinals have a raw deal where they're flying across the country and then playing earlier than their body is set up for. So I think that's part of it. But on the other hand, I mean, Kyler Murray overthrowing Larry Fitzgerald wide open and not connecting with Andy Isabella and, and missing maybe some vision things on the field in the passing game where rewatching the tape, Darrell Daniels had an easy touchdown on one of those drives. If, if Kyler Murray saw him, would have been probably a 45-yard touchdown pass. So there's certain things that I still see beyond energy where – if they can clean these things up, if they can figure out how to get the passing game clicking, to me, that's the key more so than will they start the game with energy or not. See, I always knew there was a valid reason why when Darren Urban is in the gym at 5 a.m. and I'm not, it's because I'm not at my optimum prime at that point in the exactly. morning. Exactly. I'm just waiting for my window during the day and then I'm busy. So, you know, that's kind of the way it works out. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> I guess I'm listening to Cliff Kingsbury, though, and, and I'm reading the frustration on the head coach's face. And then also what he said, we didn't match their intensity. It's one of the first things he said out of the gate after the game. So to me, that's the bad news because that was a game you really needed and should have won. And that's us. That's not the Cardinals will never say that on the record. Um, but the good news is, to me, it's fixable. There's a reason the Cardinals have gone to Seattle. And whether they've been a good team or a bad team, they've competed for the last decade because they feed off the fans in Seattle off the 12s. And even the Steve Wilkes team actually battled and competed to the very end in Seattle when they had no business hanging with that Seahawks team. There's none of that in these stadiums on the road. Now, did the Cardinals find it in the fourth quarter against the 49ers? Sure. But that was the opener. And I, there was a different sort of adrenaline flowing being in Santa Clara and there was the smoke and everything else. All I know is Darren, we were, in Carolina, and I had half an eye on the sideline the entire game because that's what I'm used to doing. I watch the game with one eye, and I watch the sideline with the other. And it was about as dead as I've ever seen it. And it's just that eyeball test. Whether it's the sideline, we can argue about that all the time, or just the eyeball test of how easy Carolina had it at times during the game, Darren. I mean, there were wide open receivers. There were red zone plays that seemingly had the Cardinals baffled. The guys were wide open. There was a time where the Cardinals put nine in the box on a third down and they still ran for a chunk run. Carolina did with Mike Davis and got a first down. So there were just things that um, were inexplicable. And hopefully the Cardinals is me. I hope the Cardinals saw it on film. It wasn't a pleasant film session, I'm guessing. And perhaps there were names named and already somebody has lost a job in Curtis Riley. 
and guys are being held accountable because I truly believe at this level, whether it's pro sports, any league, the true accountability comes in job security. That's how you motivate. And I think with that in mind, at least a minor message was sent, at least with the release of Curtis Riley. We'll see if it resonates. Uh, we'll, we'll always see on that. I mean, the thing about the releases, and I, and I know that's always been, you know, in the 20-plus years that I've covered this league, that's always been something that coaches and teams have talked about. Okay, you know, maybe they need to cut a guy and to get everybody's attention Except, you know, it's not – Curtis Riley wasn't even with this team when the season started. He came in because Jalen Thompson got hurt. And if Jalen Thompson ends up coming back uh, this week or next and you've got T.J. Ward now on the practice squad and Buda Baker can come back. And, I mean, I don't – and Chris Banjo comes back. You might not even need Curtis Riley anyways. He could have been an all-pro this weekend and they might have cut him anyways just because of where they are with injuries. And I guess ultimately – I have a hard time with that being the message because the only way a message gets sent is if you cut somebody who nobody thought would be cut. I don't think Curtis Riley is a guy that's getting a lot of attention. That's just me. And I just think that ultimately um, this team is not doing a lot of the things, especially offensively, is not doing a lot of the things that everybody thought they were going to do. And we're, we're four games into the season and we're, we're, we're pretty much past the point, especially in an NFL season that is setting records everywhere in terms of points scored and they're not calling any penalties and all this stuff that we're, we're, we're getting past the point where you can say, well, we're still trying to figure out who we are and, you know, we're still learning or we didn't have the off season because all these other teams are able to, to figure that stuff out. The good teams are able to figure that stuff out. And the question is now why have the Cardinals not yet? And I'll take a subset question of that is, why no vertical passing game? And Kyle, we saw in the first couple of games, the approach, and Cliff Kingsbury admitted as much to some degree, was that, hey, we're going to wear out this defensive front of the 49ers, and it's going to pay off in the fourth quarter. And guess what? It did. It did. I mean, Cardinals had two long scoring drives in the fourth quarter. That was the game they won. They did it to a degree in the Washington game as well, a similar front. Now that we're in weeks three and four, whether because the defenses are taking a little different approach or maybe conditioning's a little better as we're getting towards, you know, we're a month into the season. If you're still trying to go horizontal all game and hopes it'll pay off at the end of the game, well, that definitely didn't seem to work. I'm not sure if that was the approach exactly against Carolina or do you think something else is at work that's preventing the Cardinals from getting that vertical passing game going? I mean, it's interesting because the air raid philosophy is a lot of horizontal passes. I mean, this isn't like out of out of character for Cliff Kingsbury. This is kind of the MO of an air raid is you get the ball to your playmakers and you want them to make guys miss and, and get some yards. And a lot of it is just, hey, we just want to get four or five yards on first down on this bubble screen where it's almost a run play, but it's DeAndre Hopkins outside instead of Kenyon Drake in the backfield. But the problem we've seen the last couple of weeks is they've had three yard losses on bubble screens and stuff where it's not a five yard gain. So you can understand the philosophy behind it. Cause then when you're in second and five, you have a lot more opportunities when it's second and 13, you're in a pretty rough spot. So I don't know if Cliff Kingsbury will change a lot or not. And I mean, we flash back one year 
they did a lot of air raid principles the first four weeks and then completely transformed and used more tight end stuff and used more t 11 personnel and 12 personnel with two tight ends. So will he do that more now? Can they do that? They're not running the ball as well as they did last year. So I think it'll be interesting. And one thing that stands out to me is the Cardinals have faced cover for 35% of the time this year, which is far and away the most in the NFL. So teams are clearly saying we're going to play zone coverage. We're going to drop four guys deep and we don't want you to get chunk plays on us and we're going to play zone. So we're watching Kyler Murray. So if he starts running, we're going to try to shut him down that way because everybody's looking at him. And that certainly seems like it's the blueprint for now. And can the Cardinals find out a way to combat that? But when you're running too high safety, it's hard to throw the ball downfield. I feel like they're going to have to run it and they're going to have to have success on the shorter stuff in order to force teams to bring that safety into the box. And that, and I'll be honest that that's, that makes sense to me in every way, except throwing short isn't always necessarily horizontal, the line of scrimmage, number one. And number two, I think it just underscores again where they are with the running game, with what we saw like the last four five, six weeks of the season. And then what we're seeing right now beyond Kyler Murray uh, and and needing to kind of get a spark there and and push it forward. They need that kind of production uh, because if you're playing if you're you're playing everybody deep and you're playing zones, then, then you you got to be able to, to grind the ball out a little bit. Whether you flash back to last year, which is a salient point, whether you see on film on your second and goal from the three and the touchdown pass to backup tight end Jordan Thomas, where you ran a three tight end set and two of them were wide open, Darrell Daniels and Jordan Thomas, whether maybe that resonates and shows you something. I know after the game, uh, Carolina defensive end Brian Burns said, and I quote, we put an emphasis on keeping eyes on Kyler. He had a nice run, but he didn't have a lot of them. So you're right, Kyle. They're going into zone coverage. They're rushing three or four. Everyone's keeping an eye on Kyler, trying to box him in and contain the legs. And now the question is, can he beat him with the arm? And guys, we one. And Darren, you tell me because we were in the press box, and when Kyler missed Larry on the first series, wide open, Larry Fitzgerald. It's shocking, isn't it? Because we've seen so many practices, 11 on 11, 7 on 7, the same exact route, the same exact play, and that ball is on the money every time. But now on game day so far in 2020, Darren, we've seen too many that have, that have been off the mark. Has anyone asked Cliff Kingsbury just whether it's a mechanics issue or anything else at play? Because typically what we've seen before the last couple of weeks has been a very accurate Kyler Murray in his career. He has been asked, and he doesn't seem to think it's really that big of a deal. I mean, a couple of tweaks here and there, and, and he thinks Kyler will be fine. I was absolutely shocked uh, at the throw, and, and anybody who saw my tweets or read my stories afterwards, I mean, that's – I put – it was the first thing I wrote about, and it being a harbinger of things to come that day. And, you know, it was – it felt like everything in a microcosm of where this team was – they come into the game. They needed a win. Uh, they were playing a team that on paper you figure they were better than. Uh, they didn't finish the game before. Everybody's talking about getting the ball to Larry Fitzgerald. You're on the first drive, and within the first couple of plays, you're throwing it his direction. And he's open. So Cliff did what he needed to do, which was get Fitz in a position where he could get the ball and you target him. And then Kyler just misses that badly. 
Um, in a lot of ways, they're lucky Larry was as open as he was because otherwise that was floated so bad. That's a pick if people are anywhere near Larry. Uh, so I, I'm not sure what it is right now. He just – he looked – Kyler just looked uncomfortable throwing the ball most of the day. Um, his stats don't look like it in terms of the completion percentage because he was throwing all those horizontal passes to the line of scrimmage. But when he went down the field, it just he just never looked like he wanted to. And, and Kyle asked a great question of Cliff Kingsbury of whether the three interceptions in near fourth of the week before were, were playing with Kyler's head. And Cliff said no, um, but I think it's a fair question to ask. You know, Kyle, we had Andy Isabella on the Big Red Rage, and it was a great interview. Great interview. It's amazing how far he has come. And we saw in the second possession where he stumbled a bit. That pass might have been on the money. It was hard to tell exactly. That one up the far sideline on, on the wheel route. But it was interesting because the 54-yarder against Washington, Andy Isabella told us that when they ran that Friday in practice, they ran it twice, that same play. And Kyler overthrew him both times. And Andy's reaction was, oh, coach isn't going to call this. I know it's going to be a home run. I'm going to be wide open, but coach won't call because we didn't, we didn't connect out into practice. Well, they did run it, and it, was, it did hit for 54 yards, but the pass was a little short, and he had to wait up for it a little bit. So I'm just wondering if there are accuracy slash mechanics issues with Kyla right now that he's still working through for whatever reason. Yeah, I think we talk about that particular play, and he definitely didn't hit him perfectly in stride, but it was still a pass 50 yards in the air, 45, whatever it was. I mean, it's still a pretty far pass, and I thought it was decent, and he certainly missed some guys, but I agree with Cliff Kingsbury that accuracy isn't a fundamental issue for Kyler Murray. I think sometimes he'll have a tendency to drift in the pocket and maybe not plant his foot and, you know, keep the exact perfect mechanics and that, like he he'll sometimes drift a little bit and throw that way and and maybe that part of it can get a little bit better and I also feel like maybe hanging in there and being willing to let the routes develop longer downfield instead of looking shorter I, I think maybe they have more opportunities downfield than sometimes he thinks and He's, he's such an elite talent with his legs that it makes sense where if he thinks pressure might be coming, he wants to get out of the pocket. But there are a few plays where I thought he could have let it develop a little bit more and, and try to hang in there a little bit more. But I think that's a lot of the learning curve of a second-year quarterback in the NFL too. So I realize Kyler Murray had a, a poor game, and now we're going back-to-back -back on games that he didn't play great. But I still look at the skill set overall, and that's why I still feel like there's optimism for this offense because you still have the talent across the board. I feel like if there's if there's tweaks to be made, they can start rolling. It's not necessarily like you have to revamp things or you just don't have enough talent. So I feel like they could certainly get things going if they change things a little bit. And I would say also to this, and and we're just as guilty about it uh, with it as a lot of people. Um, but part of this is the bar that was set for Kyler Murray going into year two that might not have been a fair bar to set. I mean, we're, we're all talking about Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson and maybe Kyler Murray. And if you look at what Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson did in their second seasons, it was, they were uh, outliers from what most second-year quarterbacks have done in their careers. And to, to automatically assume that he could potentially do that – Again, like Kyle said, it's it's not like he's been – he hasn't been Sam Darnold this season. 
he hasn't been bad. He's been he's been less than superstar. And and maybe maybe part of it is that. Maybe it is like kind of reconsidering exactly what kind of bar we should be holding for him and, and how much of he how much of it he has control of too. And he hasn't had the stout running game at his disposal the last couple of weeks, obviously. For example, Baker Mayfield, 19 completions for a buck 65, and they almost put a 50-burger on the board against Dallas. Kyler, 24 completions for 133, 4.3 yards per, per a completion. And so, you know, but he didn't have that running game at his disposal like Cleveland did when they ran for over 300 yards against Dallas. So there isn't that balanced dynamic in the threat of the run to that degree. But I guess my next question would be because Matt Rule was asked after the game, they started their season losing their first two games. Now they just won their last two games, minus Christian McCaffrey, 444 total yards, a buck 68 rushing for Carolina. Whether that's on the Cardinals or whether that's on Carolina, he was asked what the difference has been offensively. And Matt Rule said, and I quote, I think the offensive staff really homed in on, hey, what are the things that we do really well? And then we focused on trying to do them really well. And I bring that up because if you're trying to do everything, are you left with nothing? And I'm as guilty of this as anyone. Hey, you got DeAndre Hopkins and you got Larry and you got Christian Kirk and you got Andy Isabella and man, look, Keyshawn Johnson. And then you got the tight ends and you got Dan Arnold. He's going to be the next superstar. Travis Kelsey, the Gronk and George Kittle all in one. And then you got Kenyon Drake and look at Chase Edmonds. He's got his package and we'll bring in the struggle of the leveler. And all of a sudden, what are you on offense? Who are you on offense? And Cliff Kingsbury was asked that question right this week about identity, Kyle. Yeah, I mean, obviously that was pretty uh, pretty interesting when he was asking almost rhetorically, we, you know, what is our offense and what is our identity? Because he feels like they haven't figured it out yet. And going back to last year, you know, after four games, it was completely understandable last season that they really switched it and were trying to figure it out with a first-year head coach and a rookie quarterback together for the first time. We all figured that a year later – same coaching quarterback, same offensive scheme, the vast majority of the players coming back. We all thought that they figured their identity out in weeks 10 through 16 last year, 10 through 17, and they were just going to keep going with that. And, hey, let's add in DeAndre Hopkins, superstar wide receiver, and it's all going to be good because we just have more talent than we did last year, and things were going so well at the end of last season. I was like a broken record this offseason that they were number seven in offensive efficiency down the stretch, and I think they're going to build on that. And so far I've been completely wrong. It hasn't been close to how efficient they were last year. So, yeah, I mean – I don't know why the running game isn't working as well. And I think that's a part of it where defenses don't have to worry about it as much, but I don't know. I think, I think Kyler's also just had two bad games. I, I think going back to his ceiling, I still think it's very high. I think he can be a top seven, top eight quarterback by the end of the season. I think with what he's doing with his legs is amazing. And I think his arm can be better. So I'm not, I'm not ready to close the door on Kyler Murray having a really good season. It's like you're going to take that exam. Are you better off with a multiple choice format or true false? Because right now, 2020 is multiple choice. It's A, B, C, D, and E. Whereas last year was true false. You either had the run game or you had the tight ends. Christian Kirk was hurt. You had rookie wide receivers. At one point, Cliff Kingsbury looked around. He said, well, the only thing I can make here is mac and cheese. I got two ingredients. I got a running back and a running game, and I have tight ends, basically. And that's what I'm going with. And that was your identity. 
by default, you had no choice. Now you have so many options and maybe you're trying to feed too many mouths. I'm not sure. I don't get the sense that's necessarily the case. You know, there's any sort of diva receivers, give me the damn ball. I, there's, but there are so many options for Kyler that maybe uh, it's hindering the game planning and or the play calling. I'm not sure. We're searching for answers here at this point. All I know is if you're going into New York and you're going against a Jets defense that has seven roughing the passer penalties hmm. and it's coming off a game where they had six personal fouls in that game, uh, you'd be well served, I would think, if you want to go against Greg Williams to put down the road grader and run the ball a good 30 times. Ideally, protect your quarterback, run the ball, and don't let them play to the echo of the whistle if you're going in against the Jets. Control the ball and, and get out of there with a healthy quarterback, especially on that turf. You're just, you're just having flashbacks to the 2009 Saints playoff game, Paul, and feeling bad for Kurt Warner, which we all did, quite frankly, that day. But um, I don't think that's an unfair thing to wonder about, Greg Williams. But I do think that if you're going to be a road grader, it's got to be within the context of you feel like that's the best way to win this game or that's the direction you want to go. I would hate to see them decide to start running the ball because you're afraid you're afraid Quinn and Williams is going to pancake Kyler Murray and uh, leave them all over the turf. So um, I think I think Kyler has shown that he can take care of himself in a lot of ways. Um, I, I don't know what direction they're going to do, go in offensively. I, I think the idea of having too many options is is an interesting one. Uh, you know, I, I don't think Larry Fitzgerald is begging for the ball. Uh, necessarily himself, but I can tell you that the outside pressure of the world, I mean, I don't care who you are, and I don't care if you're Cliff Kingsbury or Kyler Murray and you're at the top of your profession, you're going to hear the noise of, you know, you've got Larry Fitzgerald, why are you not giving him the ball? Now, if they've just kind of figured like he's physically to the point where it doesn't make a lot of sense and they don't want to say that, that's a whole another thing, but I don't know if that's the case at this point. And if the rest of the passing game was clicking and Larry Fitzgerald was getting one or two catches for five yards, that's, that's a discussion you can have. But with the way it's going right now, it's, it's hard to sit here and say, you know, more Larry Fitzgerald might help a little bit more because here's a guy who knows what he's doing. I, I, again, I don't, I don't know what the, the best step is, um, but I do know they need to find it quickly and do it against the Jets because – you're going to have more difficult games coming quickly. And we do know they certainly did not win the line of scrimmage on either side of the ball in Carolina. Uh, you mentioned Quinn and Williams. Last we saw Derek Brown, he's busting through the A-gap, and Kyler's got a big bandage on his chin. Uh, you know, and then you had 168 yards rushing by Carolina, yet another game more than five yards per carry. That's three out of four uh, that the Cardinals' run defense has given up five yards a carry. Is that a concern, Kyle, line of scrimmage right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so, I, especially offensively. And what I was thinking when you guys are talking about the identity thing is maybe, I mean, we talk about the air raid all the time and these horizontal passes. And does it make more sense for your identity to try to be like the Ravens where you have this outstanding running game with this electric quarterback and this running back that's pretty talented and then completely build it off that because – 
the Ravens passing game is good because the running game is excellent. And they're obviously a run first team that goes play action and then also has efficiency in the passing game. And the Cardinals are pass first when maybe your running game is the better one that you should be doing like they did last year. And I'm sure Cliff Kingsbury will look at that, but Baltimore's offensive line is very, very good at run blocking. And so far the Cardinals have been average or below average at run blocking. So they have, they'd have to prove that where they can get those running backs going again. If it was last year and you're getting five yards a pop from Kenyon Drake and Chase Edmonds, it's an easy answer. And the formula is there for you. But right now when you're averaging 3.8 yards per carry with your running backs, it's not as easy to just say, Hey, we want to run the ball when it's not super efficient. Kyle, right back at you. Does Kenyon Drake look like a different running back this year? We know the numbers are different. Just the eyeball test. What does he look like to you in, in this year's version, iteration of this offense? He hasn't been in space a bunch, so I hesitate to say that he's that much different, but he did have a certain level of explosiveness last season, especially early on, and that could have been also being completely healthy and not playing much in Miami and just having the juice. This season, he was still coming off that injury, which he missed a lot of camp with. So it's possible that that lingered early on. And then also, like we talked about, not having a lot of holes. I mean, there's been some times when he got around the corner and and looked like he did last year. So I don't think physically there's anything, you know, glaring with him but certainly he hasn't been as productive and I think the offensive line is responsible for some of that but also Kenyon is too because last year it was you know what you would hear from the O-line was man how refreshing it is to have that running back who can just put his foot in the ground get vertical just go north doesn't go down in first contact we've seen flashes of that of course last we saw Kenyon Drake you could hear him exhale throughout the entire empty stadium because he just got a helmet to the solar plexus in the chest area. And I mean, what is the latest? He is expected to play this week, and, and it really was a matter, of, an acute matter of him just getting the wind knocked out of him. Is that, is that our understanding on Kenyon Drake? Well, we never got an official explanation of what it was, but he should be fine. And so I, I don't think that's going to be an issue. It doesn't seem like that's going to be an issue. Uh, happened to pass him uh, just prior to doing this recording and he looked fine as he was walking around. So I, I think he's going to be available and perfectly fine. And, and I'll, I'll, I don't know. I, other than the Carolina game where I, there were very few Cardinals where I'm thinking to myself, okay, that guy had a decent game. I think Kenyon Drake's looked more or less fine. I mean, the plays that he's not getting up the field, I feel like there's other issues there um, beyond him. I, I don't personally think there's that, there's a big difference between Kenyon Drake, how he's performing, how he looks individually compared to last year. And I just throw that out there because I noticed I'm not, I'm not doing the mailbag like you, Darren, but I, the little <laughs> bit that I, that I hear, you know, from, from the Red Sea, I think that's a question that's being posed. And I'll tell you what, if there's any question going into New York, we all know what Chase Edmonds looked like in that stadium a year ago, going home, the Fordham guy. And, and Kyle, I wouldn't hesitate to put Chase Edmonds in this week against the Jets. That's what I was going to say. I think it's, you know, we can debate the Kenyon Drake thing and it's hard to know exactly if he looks the same as last year. But to me, Chase Edmonds is a guy who has looked fantastic all season and it doesn't really show it in the statistics. I mean, his, his yards per carry is pedestrian, but he's made some impressive moves and he's, he gets up to speed quickly and he's, he's got a burst that is uh, pretty impressive. And, 
you know, he's gotten probably 35% of the snaps at running back. And if he continues to play like this, he might force himself onto the field even more. We were on the air and I was saying, well, the big question, not to get all metaphysical right now on the Cardinals after four games would be, who are you? Are you the team that won the first two? Are you the team that played these last two? What exactly, what's your identity on both sides of the ball, et cetera? And then, and then there's the question, where are you? Chandler Jones and, and Pat P. And does anybody have a, a theory as to this? Is there a reason to be concerned? Is this a byproduct of other teams' game plans where they're even throwing a lot of attention at Chandler and or not testing Pat P as much, although it looked like he was trailing a few receivers who had made receptions? And, and the interception that, that Pat P made, was he playing safety? Do we ever get verification on that? Because that's intriguing, if you ask me. Uh, hashtag Charles Woodson. <laughs> I don't uh, know. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Kyle. Go ahead. It, 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 was, it was a disguised defense. I mean, he lined up a corner and then ran to safety. It was, it was meant to confuse Teddy Bridgewater. It wasn't – he didn't line up at safety and, and play that. I think, I think if that happens, you'll hear uh, Patrick Peterson – complaining about that pretty early in the week if that's part of the plan I I don't disagree with you it's funny people have said oh well you know what about Patrick playing safety well I you know with all due respect to you know the Jamal Adams of the world or or even Buda Baker I think the first thing Patrick would think about at this point about playing safety is I'm not moving until I get a brand new contract being paid like a cornerback so uh, you know and that's a whole nother thing we'll have to see how that plays out uh, as we go forward. But, um, yeah, I don't – Patrick Patrick is going to be one of those guys who sees himself as a cornerback, and it's going to be a very hard discussion to have him move to safety at any point in his career, whether it's here or somewhere else. Well, here, I mean, you look at – as far as the targets, they were certainly throwing at him in that game. And when Terry McLaurin was being guarded by Patrick, the Washington was willing to throw at him. So it's not like – teams are just ignoring the receiver that Patrick Peterson is guarding like they used to. And I certainly think it's something that that has to get ironed out because you want him to be that lockdown number one corner and you want Chandler Jones to get that consistent sack production. And I know that's not everything and the pressures are good. And I thought against Carolina, especially early, he got pressure on Teddy Bridgewater and that team throws the ball fast. So it is hard to sack them. And I thought he might have played his best game against Carolina, but still one sack in four games for a guy who you're counting on to be an all pro isn't up there with what you expected. So I think if the defense is going to be, you know, average at the very least, you need Patrick and Chandler to play well. One of us was popping off last week saying, you know, maybe the Lions provided a Honolulu blueprint as to I'll go against the Cardinals and then, well, according to people I talked to, <clears throat> including the head coach on his TV show, uh, it really wasn't the case. Carolina didn't really use a lot of the exact same principles that Matt Patricia did, so that's out the window. However, what if I said that there was a blueprint provided by Matthew Stafford in terms of getting rid of the ball quickly against the Cardinals' defense? And that just seemed to be a big factor. Now, Teddy Bridgewater didn't have nearly enough pressure as he had no sacks and he got pressured what? three official pressures seemingly looked like he had a lot of time, but he also got rid of the ball pretty quickly and made it pretty difficult on the Cardinals. What's alarming to me, Darren, going back almost full, full circle here is just how easy some of those completions were. Is that a byproduct of no Buda Baker or no Jalen Thompson? Is that, 
is that something that's going to be a concern long-term, you think, for this secondary? I, I think that's a good question. I mean, you, you go back to the late in the Washington game and, okay, we're playing off because we had a big lead. And then the Lions are able to drive down at the end of the game and it seemed like there was a lot of open people. And, and then what you had in Carolina, I, I do think the safety thing had something to do with it. And even if it wasn't a direct coverage, part of the safeties being missing it very much could be about okay the last thing we want to do right now is put our cornerbacks on an island play a lot of man-to-man and then expect one of these safeties to be quite frankly uh up to speed enough to cover over the top if something happens and not get beat deep and maybe we'll just play back overall and and protect the fact that we don't have the guys at safety we want I, i don't know any of that for a fact but that's the stuff that pops into my head now, does it change if they get some of these safeties back? Um, you know, they're hopeful Buddha and Jalen Thompson and Banjo will all be back, as Cliff Kingsbury has said a few times, quote-unquote, soon. Whether that's this week or not, I don't know. But, um, you know, after what it kind of – how the defense kind of went in Carolina, you're, you you got to hope that there's something there. And, and we haven't even talked about Devon Kennard, who I think – we, we really saw how much they missed him uh, because with his, all the good things that Hassan Reddick has done this year at linebacker, um, I think having Reddick playing more and using Kylie Fitz, you can see that not having Kennard made a difference. I, I would agree with that. Hassan Reddick seems to be that sort of situational guy come in with a burst of athleticism. And, and yeah, on a down-to-down basis, the Cardinals most definitely missed Devon Kennard. What was it, twice we saw Isaiah Simmons at deep safety where he rotated back at the last moment pre-snap and, and dropped into a center field type position. One time the play was killed by a flag pre-snap. They both were. Both, both times he did both it. Times. Both times the Panthers false started. Mm, okay. It was really weird to me. It's like, did they were they freaked out that he went back there? I mean, I've never the, – the chances of that happening seem so – and I wanted to see – because that was what stunk was – he dropped back to safety both times. They fall started. And then I think in both cases, he left to the field before the next play. Like they fall started, they took the five-yard penalty, and then Vance took him off the field. What was the uh, – how many people in the mailbag – what's the DEFCON reading, one, on Isaiah Simmons in the mailbag this week? And then number two, uh, did anyone cite uh, Jeremy Chin in the, uh, and, and, and the rookie who was dubbed Isaiah Simmons Light out of Southern Illinois – coming out of the draft, the round two pick, is he had a pretty productive game in that Carolina. Now, he doesn't have a Devondre Campbell in front of him, keeping him from getting snaps at his position. But I was just curious. I mean, Kyle, I couldn't help but notice that Jeremy Chin for the Panthers had a pretty darn good game as a rookie. Yeah, and, and doesn't help that Derek Brown, the guy taking one spot ahead of Isaiah Simmons, had those two highlight-worthy plays in the run game. And he didn't get a lot of pressure so it wasn't a perfect performance from Derek Brown, but he's obviously playing more than Isaiah Simmons at this point. And I think like we talked about last week, I think it was notable that Isaiah Simmons didn't get on the field much at all, even though Curtis Riley was struggling and Deontay Thompson was a little bit up and down. And they went to Charles Washington as the third safety when they took Riley off the field for a bit. So I think clearly Isaiah Simmons is still – learning things mentally and still adjusting physically to the game. And I I think back, like, I don't think it's a a good thing that he hasn't seen the field regularly yet because most first round picks 
despite no offseason, are on the field already. But I do think back to Buda Baker didn't play basically on defense the first eight games. David Johnson was used very sparingly until late in his rookie season. So it's it's not exactly a death sentence to not play early in your rookie year. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. I mean, in, in a perfect world, he's already excelling and he hasn't yet. Um, but I do think it's certainly too early to, to shut the book on him. And we'll see as the season goes on, what kind of package they have for Isaiah Simmons, because you would expect it to continue to expand. The If you start talking about rookies and rookie seasons, I mean, DJ Humphreys didn't get into a game his rookie season, mm. and they just gave him a giant extension to be their left tackle. Um, and again, I, I know people are going to listen to me and say, well, that's just excuses and all this stuff. And I, I just – I think every first-round pick, every draft pick is going to be a certain – there's they're, they're going to be their own people and it's all going to be different situations based on how they're doing and, and what all's going on uh, in this game. And if you put in, and maybe at some point at this point, people are like, I don't care anymore, but let's go back to that first game, Paul. If, if the, if the Cardinals would have lost that first game and everybody's saying, well, if it wasn't for Isaiah Simmons getting beat for a 76 yard touchdown or whatever it was, they would have won. You know, are you angry he's in the game at that point? I, I could see it being the other way around. If he's playing a lot and making a bunch of mistakes and everybody's like, why the hell you got a rookie in there who doesn't know what he's doing? Um, you know, again, the difference, the, the issue right now with Isaiah Simmons isn't just that he's not playing. It's that fans are upset because he's not playing and they're losing. If this team was winning, you just don't – people aren't going to say as much, and that's what ultimately this comes down to. And after the first two weeks, it looked like this defense was going to be fine with him playing very little, and now you're starting to wonder a little bit about it. But that's how changes are made. That's how guys get in the lineup. That's how you end up playing rookies sometimes is because things aren't going the way you want. Okay, we're going to put them in the lineup and see what happens. Did the Cardinals start that Niners game, the opener, with the 11 most talented players on defense? Yes, they did. Here's the thing. Kyle Shanahan said, okay, you're going to put a rookie out there. We're going to get him into space, and we'll test him. And it wasn't just the Mostert 76-yard catch and run. It were a few other big hitters that was Isaiah Simmons' uh, assignment. And so they did have to get him off the field at that point because it, it, it was a liability. He wasn't quite ready especially with that Niners offense, all the shifts and the motions and the eye candy and messing with your eyes and everything they do. And then they get into the West Coast offense. It goes all the way back to Kyle Shanahan's dad. It's a tough deal for a kid who didn't have a single preseason game in, in his first game. So it's a great point, Darren. You're right. I mean, if he's still in there and he's costing you touchdowns and, and big plays, then, then what are the fans saying? I mean, I, my expectation is going into New York, the defense is going to rebound. Defense looked at the film. They said, wait a minute, Teddy Bridgewater just scored on an 18-yard touchdown run up the spine of the field, breaking tackles, his first touchdown run since a horrific knee injury in 2016. They're going to look at the yards per carry. They're going to look at the total yards. They're going to look at the you – know, there's a first down run with nine in the box. I think the defense responds, and whether there's fans in there or not at MetLife, they're, they'll have the energy. I'm not so sure about the offense. I'm just totally uncertain as to what to expect with the offense at this point, Kyle? I think the defense will definitely respond, but I think it helps when you're playing the Jets and it seems like <laughs> Joe Flacco might be the quarterback. It, I, I would be less 
excited about a, a possible rebound if it was the Cowboys at the Seahawks like you're playing the two weeks later. I think I think the big question to me is the secondary and like you said, how much does Buda Baker and Jalen Thompson matter? And I think they matter a lot because you look at uh, Patrick Peterson, Byron Murphy, and Drake Kirkpatrick. I think at this stage in in the two older veterans' careers, they're not super fast. And then Byron Murphy was never a burner coming out of college. So they don't have like elite speed at corner. And I think Buda Baker helps a lot of that stuff because you can play outside leverage and kind of funnel things to him. And he's, he's the fastest guy in that secondary. He covers so much ground and he does a bunch. So I think when you get those safeties back, I want to see what the coverage looks like against the Cowboys and, you know, against the Seahawks, two really good passing teams. Um, but offensively, I think, I mean, you look at the Jets' defensive numbers, and they're not they're not too bad. Like, the offense is obviously really bad, but the defense has a decent amount of talent for New York. So I think it's not the easiest matchup. And it'll be interesting because the cover four I mentioned earlier, the Jets have only played that in six snaps all season. So do they play the zone deep drop that everybody else is, or are they going to play something different and, and let, maybe let Kyler Murray see a different look and how he responds to that. But I mean, I agree with you that there's no, there's no absolute thing saying the offense is going to bounce back. But I do think like we talked about earlier, there's enough talent there to where if they finally put it all together against the jets, it wouldn't surprise me. We'll, we'll see what kind of pressure Greg Williams wants to bring to Kyler Murray in terms of blitzing and, and, and rushing the passer, but um, the Jets do not have a good secondary. They don't, and they got rid of Jamal Adams, and they're, they're having all kinds of problems at cornerback. I mean, this is a group that you would think can be exploited. I mean, last week on Thursday night, a third-string quarterback named Brock Rippon lit them up and beat them in large part because – they were able to go deep and, and make a, a bunch of long passes uh, in addition to the run game with Melvin Gordon um, that, that just destroyed the Jets. And they have guys that can be picked on, and, and the question is, can the Cardinals take advantage of that? I mean, if you look at the next two defenses they're playing between the Jets and the Cowboys, if mm. the passing game can't get better in these two, actually with the Seahawks, the Seahawks have a terrible defense too right now. If you can't get better in the passing game against these three defenses, and I'm not talking about how much the Cowboys and Seahawks can score against this, the Cardinals defense, but I'm talking about Cardinals offense specifically. If you can't get better in the passing game these next three games, that's you're, you're, you got issues. And that's a great point. As much as I enjoyed that, that's second to you doing your Vic Fangio impersonation because you called him Brock Rippon when his name is Brett Rippon. Oh, and the head, the head coach of Denver has been calling him Mark Rippon. So to the press, and I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I got Brock. There. He's, he's the nephew of Mark Rippon, uh, the kid out of Spud State, Brett Rippon. And believe me, I had to look that up, Darren. The only reason I, I even knew that is because Vic, Vic Fangio had had committed that. So it was. Uh, uh, by the way, we knew there was the connection between Cliff Kingsbury and Matt Rule. There is also a connection between Cliff Kingsbury. <laughs> and Adam Gase. Is there not? Who would like to pick up on that story and how it relates to the Cardinals and the Jets uh, two years ago were both in the market for a head coach? Well, I mean, ultimately, uh, it's not necessarily a connection between the coaches as much as the franchises that are that hired them because both teams interviewed both coaches, both guys, to be their head coach. I mean, Adam Gase came in here 
the same week Cliff Kingsbury interviewed uh, for the Cardinals and Cliff Kingsbury interviewed with the Jets, just like they talked to Adam Gase. And obviously um, I want to say, and I'd have to look it up, but I want to say the Kingsbury hire came first uh, because I seem to remember the Jets being somewhat disappointed that Kingsbury picked the Cardinals. And, and so they went with Adam Gase and, uh, and we are where we are right now. And obviously if, if the Cardinals have been able to win at least one of these last two games, they feel a lot more, you know, high and mighty about where they are with their coach. But I mean, Adam Gase is dodging conversation about him being fired on a weekly basis right now. So uh, you got to feel like the Cardinals uh, did the right thing, getting Cliff Kingsbury and letting him get Kyler Murray and going from there. And then there's another wrinkle because there were stories out citing sources who said that Cliff Kingsbury was in New York interviewing again with the Jets at the very moment that Cliff Kingsbury was taking a tour of the Cardinals complex. <laughs> and there were witnesses at the Dignity Health Training Center who were actually shaking hands with Cliff Kingsbury as the reports were coming out that he was supposedly interviewing with the Jets in New York at that exact moment. That wasn't a Paul Calvisi report, was it? Heck no. Heck no. <laughs> That's right. I'll, I'll take a lot of stuff around here, but I'm not wearing that one. No. What a... What, what did you get that was really big breaking news? Herm Edwards or something? You, oh, scoop, you had well, a huge scoop. I'm glad you asked. Let's go. <laughs> Do we have enough time left on the podcast for me to run down the scorecard on that one? <laughs> hey, there was the Herm Edwards, Kyle. Yeah. All right. Smart guy. There was a Herm Edwards. Uh, there was also. What do you mean smart guy? I'm sitting here praising yeah. you. <laughs> your reporting ability. There were, there, were, there were three big ones. And I'm trying to remember the third, but it was Herm <laughs> Edwards. And it was, I, I actually. My report on Cliff Kingsbury was this. Everyone dismissed Cliff Kingsbury and the name on that list. I mean, completely dismissed him. He just got fired by Texas Tech. He's an OC at USC. And I did come out because I did learn from reliable sources, legit sources, that he was a real serious candidate early in the process, Cliff Kingsbury. So that was the report. I never called it. I never said he was going to absolutely be the head coach. I said, no, no, he is a real candidate and will be a finalist. And then uh, I forget the third one, but whatever. You know, no, let me, wait, wait, I, I got to go here, Paul. As long as we're talking about you and your history, I mean, it's, you, you, can't, you can't talk about how you were standing on the table for Anquan Bolden or, uh, you know, uh, to, to, to draft John Brown in the third round and then not tell us your misses. What, give us a good <laughs> miss, Dad. Well, you don't have to go very far for the misses. Uh, my – my poly pigskin breakout player at camp on the defensive side this year was Zane Lewis. So Zane Lewis, there wasn't even a first cut and Zane Lewis still got cut. That's true. So that's, that was not good. And um, so, yeah, if this is the humble pie portion of Cardinals underground, uh, yeah, I didn't exactly hit it out of the park with Jojo Ward either. Um, I kind of, I kind of have to go back to uh, Tony Jefferson for my, you know, for an all timer. I, I did have Tony Jefferson. I had Jerron Brown. Um, People still, rip me, people still rip me on Max Hall as my Pauly Pigskin breakout player at camp. But wait a minute. Max Hall did make the stinking team and did make two starts for the Arizona Cardinals. So that was sort of the point, is the unknown guy who comes out of camp and actually ends up making a difference. And I'll always give you credit for being the first one on the Kyler Murray hype train, driving that train from day one when yeah. Josh Rosen was the entrenched starter and everybody thought it would be crazy and – you said, nope, come for the arm and stay for the legs and a super-powered Russ Wilson. And, I mean, he, he's, hit, he's hit a little roadblock here, but you just, you just keep riding that train. I, I, took, a lot, ultimate... 
I was going to say, I took a lot of heat because the Kyler Murray stuff, no, I mean, people all over me. Oh, he's a lunatic. Yeah. The Herm Edwards, when I came out with Herm Edwards, I mean, Herm Edwards hadn't coached in how many years? He's at ESPN. Yeah. People are like, Calvisi's a lunatic. And then, and then the Cliff Kingsbury. Okay. Now, you know, anyway, I don't know why it is I, I get the outliers. The, 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 it's the outliers, you know, that. that. I, I will say that, and, I, and unfortunately, I can't really get into details, but, and, and I wasn't able to go public really with it either. But I remember, let's just say long before Cliff was hired, I was given a heads up that he'd be in the mix at least to a point where I didn't really buy it at the time that I was hearing it. And in hindsight, I'm like, Oh man, um, because it was definitely out of the box. But I, you know, I, I still, I still believe that he is going to be the right coach for this team. I still believe him pairing with Kyler Murray will be the right combination. Uh, and we'll guess we'll see. And uh, they, they got to get some of these games where they should be getting them um, because we all know what this league is like if you don't do that in a short order. But I also wonder a little bit about, and I'm not just talking about this team, just where things go over the next couple of years in terms of coaching changes, because if you're paying all these coaches, all this money um, and you take a hit because of COVID and where things have gone economically, I'm wondering if teams uh, just in general, when, like we're talking about Adam Gase, just in general might be more willing to pump the brakes on a, on a quick fire, Bill O'Brien notwithstanding, uh, just because you're not going to want to have all this extra money that you're paying out. You know the crazy head coaching stat, this last thing I'm going to throw out there. The Holy Cannoli stat that I saw this week, that Browns head coach Kevin Stefanski is 3-1. and one. In three years, Hugh Jackson was 3-36-1. and one. How about that stat? How yeah. about that for an all-time? Petty times to be a Browns fan. <laughs> and I just think you look at you look at Kingsbury, and this has been probably his – the most critical week of Kingsbury's tenure with a lot of people being upset with his play calling and the team being flat because expectations this season are so much higher than they were last year. But I think it's a good reminder when you look at Adam Gase, who is hired in the exact same year and is really, really struggling. And to the point, like Darren said, where people are legitimately asking about his job and the Cardinals were in, just as bad of a spot when Cliff Kingsbury was hired. I mean, that, that 2018 team was clearly the worst team in the NFL and negative 200 point differential is really hard to do. So the fact that they turned it around this quickly and the fact that you're talking about playoff expectations in his second season and being so mad that this team is two and two, I think that's a testament to how far the team has come in only 19, 20 games under Cliff Kingsbury. So we'll see how it goes. And it's still early in his tenure, but it sure feels like despite these recent hiccups, this team is in a pretty good spot. Right. Eruption, unchained, jump. These are all things. These are all verbs you guys are going to use in your game story on Sunday, week five, after a big win against the Jets to come full circle on Van Halen. These are all things you guys can use out there. I like it. Darren, um, we'll see what New York has in store. Um, actually, I, the honest you truth mean the is – the hotel in New York? Yeah, you'll see what the hotel has in store. You won't see New York, but you'll see the hotel. So, right, <laughs> in New Jersey probably. Right. 
Right. You, you can see what greater Jersey City has in store. So, Paul, right. Paul, you'll have a full day to work your sources on Saturday and come <laughs> up with your next scoop. That's right. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Are you the one that broke that? Um, what's the U of A coach's name? Kevin Sumlin. Did you say he had coronavirus? Did you get that no. one? No, I did not. No. No, although I did go for a walk on Saturday and I saw a Cardinals player. And I'm like, wait a minute, I don't really recognize that guy. And the only thing that saved me, because we were walking down this path, he was going one way, I was going the other way, was the fact that he had his number on his mask. And it was number 80, Jordan Thomas. And I said, that is so 2020. Once upon yeah, a time, yeah. coach used to write your name or number on masking tape and put it on your helmet. Now your number's on your face mask because of COVID. No, those are pretty cool. I saw those around the, the hotel. Those are pretty cool masks where they, all the players have their own, you know, proper numbers jersey numbers on their covid masks darren you can put your nickname on your mask what's your what's your nickname darren you should put your nickname on your mask oh man we're not going there Let, let's wrap this up right now on <laughs> cardinals underground oh, that's, note to self that's where we're starting next week here on cardinals underground <laughs> <laughs>